You will see loads of things that we could cover and discuss in here that I'm going to neglect this morning. I'm more so going to give us a fly over three things that, that we should see. And, um, and while this is directed towards parents this morning, uh, this is the living active word of God and every bit of it is relevant to every single believer. And so there's something here for all of us. So don't tune out, don't check out, engage, depend on the Holy Spirit of God to, to, to show you what it is that you need to see uh, from the preserved word of God. And let's all walk away uh, more conformed into the image of Jesus Christ as a result of having spent time in his word. And so Deuteronomy chapter 6 The first 25 verses here, Moses, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, he wrote this to the nation of Israel. He says, now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, you and your son and your grandson all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Verse 10. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall take oaths in his name. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. Verse 16, you shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, his testimonies, his statutes, which he's commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you, and that you may go in and possess the good land of which the Lord swore to your fathers, to cast out all your enemies before you, as the Lord has spoken. When your son asks you in the time to come, saying, what is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments that the Lord our God has commanded you, then you shall say to your son, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all his household. Then he brought us out from there that he might bring us in to give us the land of which he swore to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is to this day. 
Then it will be righteousness for us if we're careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you again for your word. Thank you for the preservation of your word by your spirit. And I ask God that you would help us this morning to see what it is that you would want us to see. And Lord, that you would help us again by your spirit to apply what it is that we need to apply. And we love you and we're so thankful for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, <clears throat> while there is much that could be said about the historical context of this passage, including Israel being a theocracy, and there, there's enough material here for us to camp out for weeks, what I, like I said a moment ago, what I want to limit us to is just kind of three flyover things that are critical for us to see in this text. And, and these are uh, what I would consider to be enduring spiritual applications from this text. And so we're going we're gonna to look to apply this passage of Scripture in three points. And then at the end, I'm going to kind of give some charges. I'm going to give charges to parents that are um, uh, that, that, I, that I think we can pull as implications, if you will, from our text, and then also just a charge to the church uh, to, to be supportive and prayerful about the most significant thing that parents can do, which is to raise their children to know that it's God alone that has delivered us from the bondage of slavery to sin. And so, um, so let's uh, really look, and if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. These aren't takeaways that I have for you in the bulletin. Again, this morning is, is a bit unique to how we typically work through a text together, so you'll have to spend a little bit more time writing. But the first thing, and really the primary thing, the foundational thing that we should see, uh, is that we need to love the Lord our God. There's no other. So love the Lord your God. There is no other. There is no other. And, and what a privilege this is. This is such a privilege that, that, that our infinite triune God who, who spoke this very world into existence would give us such a glorious command to love him, to love him, right? Have you ever felt unseen or have you ever felt unappreciated? Have you ever felt lonely in your life? Right, that, that's not the case with God. Right, God didn't create us because he was lonely. We know from other passages of Scripture, namely the book of Exodus, that God revealed himself to Moses as the great I am, which means that God is self-sufficient. He doesn't need anything outside of himself. And our very existence, him creating us, it didn't supplement anything in God that he was lacking. Okay, God, he doesn't change and he doesn't seek to gain anything outside of himself. Okay, God, he's perfect. And, and the reason, reason I'm bringing this up is because God, he didn't, God didn't have to create us at all, but he created us because he wanted to. And he did so according to the counsel of his own will. But think about this as well. God also didn't have to make himself knowable. He didn't have to make himself knowable. Right? This one true and living God, the, the one God, as Moses puts it here in our text, here in verse 4, he chose, him, he chose on his own accord to make himself knowable, and that's implicit 
in this very command for us to love him, that he would be knowable. Right? You can't love what you don't know. You can't love who you don't know. That's not how love works. In any biblical, profitable sense of the word, you must know in order to love. And, and while we can't as creatures know God fully, right, because we're finite created beings, we can know God truly. We can know God truly. We can know him experientially in our lives. We can know him intimately. We can know him salvifically through the finished work of Jesus Christ and by the power of his spirit. And that's why this is, this is such a privilege to us. This command here, right? It's, it's the most wonderful of things. It's beautiful. It's true that God would make himself knowable and that he would charge us to love him. He created us to love him, to know him. That's humbling, and it should sink us as sinful human beings further and further and further just into the depths of his grace. Here it is in our text. Hear, O Israel, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, where else do we hear this? Right? Why, why are the words of Moses here, or, or better yet, the words of the Holy Spirit, why are they so familiar to us? It's the same vocabulary that we see in the greatest commandment that Jesus gives. If you want to flip over quickly back to the Gospel of Mark for a moment, Mark chapter 12, verses 29 to 31, we see Mark document the words of Christ here. He said, Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, and here he goes, quote, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Jesus says this is the first commandment. It's a foundational commandment here. And the second, like it, right, is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other greater commandment than these. The first commandment and the second commandment here. Now, we, we've discussed this as a church family before, but what is Jesus doing here in this passage? Right, he's summarizing for us uh, the, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, the enduring moral law of God. And he divides them up into what the Reformers called the two tables of the law. The first four commandments are the first table, and it deals with our relationship solely with our relationship with the Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. It's the first four commandments. And the back six commandments are the second table of the law, and they have to do with our horizontal relationships with one another. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And we know that this wonderful thing that God has commanded us to do, to love him and to, to love those that are created in his image, is an absolute impossibility apart from his intervention in our lives. All right, sin, it prevents us from doing what's natural, what should be natural. All right, sin is the destroyer, destroyer, if you will, of what's natural. But sin prevents us from doing what should be natural to us. Sin prevents us from doing what all creation does, which is declare the glory of God. 
And what makes this command here even, even more glorious, even more wonderful, is that God became man. Okay, he, he became one of us. This unchangeable God, he added humanity to his deity in the second person of the Trinity without any change or without any diminishing to his deity. And in becoming man, he became for us more knowable. He became more knowable. Where our enemy, the devil, sought to destroy our joy and our pleasure in God by promoting this great chasm between us and between uh, God, our God instead drew even nearer to us by triumphing over the devil, dealing with our sin, and resurrecting from the dead. We hear that in the very words of Jesus, love the Lord your God. And we sit here as Deer Park Fellowship knowing that in Christ it's possible. In Christ it's possible. Jesus made loving the Lord possible. All right, we have greater intimacy now. We have, right? If you know the formation of the early church in the book of Acts, we have the Holy Spirit of God that dwells in us as we are temples of the Holy Spirit. And parents, this is not just good for us to hear and be reminded of, but this has to be the very air we breathe. It has to be the very air that we breathe. Because one of the things that we need to see here, especially with holding our text in Deuteronomy in our heads, that just as we must love the Lord before we can love in the biblical sense, in the, in the God-centered sense, our neighbor well, so we must love the Lord our God before we can raise our children to know and love the Lord their God. All right, we must love the Lord before we can show our children Jesus. All right, it's the old tired cliched illustration that we put the oxygen mask on ourselves before we're any help to put the oxygen mask on anyone else. And so that God would make himself knowable and that we would experience intimacy with God through Christ, by the Spirit, it's the prerequisite for us. Right? Again, it must be the air that we breathe. Parents, whole church family, must be the air that we breathe. And, and as a word to fathers, God has designed things in such a way that you primarily set, whether you like it or not, you primarily set the spiritual temperature of the home. And here's some encouragement to you. Don't run your wife down spiritually. Don't run her ragged. You have to worship the Lord your God. And I could spend all day speaking about some of the things that surround this, just from the text in Deuteronomy here, obedience to his word, cultivating in your life the fear of the Lord. But you have to love the Lord your God. And what a privilege it is to know, again, that in Christ, God has made it possible for moms and dads and children to do this very thing. So the first thing that we need to see is the privilege of loving the Lord our God. The second thing, if you're taking notes, is this. Fulfill the Great Commission by prepping your kids for eternity. Fulfill the Great Commission by prepping, preparing your kids for eternity. Right, we need to do a better job it's seeing the Great Commission being primarily accomplished by raising children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. 
Right? Going to the nations is good, and we must go to the nations. Planting churches is good, and we must plant churches. But parents must take the Great Commission seriously in their homes. Look again at verse 6 in Deuteronomy 6 here. And these words which I command you today, today shall be in your heart, okay, prerequisite, and you shall teach them diligently. That phrase is significant. Teach them diligently to your children. And that phrase there means to wet or to sharpen. It's uttering sharp words. And, and the phrase carries with it the necessity of preparing them for judgment, which is similar to what we saw Last week, when we were looking at the Gospel of Mark, right, is it related to fishermen, being fishers of men? So there's a connection point there between last week and this week. But we need to remember, and we need to remember this every day, that our children, they will meet God. Our children will meet God. And preparing them for that is the most important task that we're entrusted with by God. And if all you're doing for them is preparing them to live a good 70, 80, 90 years as a moral upstanding citizen, then you're failing them. You're failing them because they were created to live for eternity. You were created to live for eternity. So they must be prepared to meet the Lord. And my prayer is that we as parents, that we, we really grasp this this morning. We need to truly catch a vision to raise our children covenantally. And by that, I mean, I mean, in the Joshua sense, Joshua said in in chapter 24, verse 15, he says this to the nation of Israel, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you'll serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me, Not just for him, he also says, and for my house, we will serve the Lord. One pastor, in my view, kind of modernized this passage, and and he said, we as moms and dads, we should be looking at our children, and we should be telling our children, we're going to heaven, and you're coming with us, all right? We're going to heaven, and you're coming with us. Right? We treat them covenantally. We treat our children covenantally, trusting as we treat them covenantally, that it's God alone who saves them, right? So, so what it means to grow up as a Solgan, what it means to grow up as a McCarty or a Hazel or a McDonnell or a Furman or a Tomlinson, those of you parents who are dedicating children this morning, what that looks like is that it means that we love the Lord God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our habits daily, our habits weekly harmonize with this. Right? The glory of God and the enjoyment of God is the reason we exist. That's the reason we exist. Why did God make me? What's God's will for my life? To glorify him and to enjoy him. That's God's will for your life. Right? The other, other bits of that are details along the way of how it is, in fact, that you do that very thing. But overarchingly, we were all created by God to enjoy him and to glorify him. Simply. And one of the many blessings in God's common grace over these last couple of years as it relates to COVID, meaning God taking bad situations and flipping them and using, using it for his good purposes. One of the many blessings is that I've watched many parents take ownership over their children's education in ways that they weren't before. 
in education and discipleship, and I think the church is has missed this in the last 50, 75, 100 years or so. Education and discipleship, they're inseparable from one another. Unless you have a truncated biblical worldview, they're, they, they are inseparable from one another. Right? There's no secular and sacred divide in God's world. Everything belongs to Christ. Everything belongs to Christ. Right? But parents have increasingly, over the last few years, I've seen repented of forsaking what God has entrusted to them and have repented from farming their responsibilities out. And as we walk in repentance in this area, and as we seek to fulfill the Great Commission by discipling our children, our approach should be one that allows for zero compartmentalization. Zero compartmentalization. Right? The discipleship of our children should be one that teaches them there's no such thing as a private faith. There's no private faith. We raise our children to know and to confess that Christ is Lord over all. All of Christ for all of life. Right? His crown rights, the crown rights of King Jesus, they extend to every sphere of life. And right? we see that in our text well. Parents are charged again to teach diligently their children and then we see in verses seven to nine you shall teach diligently to your children shall talk of them when you and this is starting verse seven here when you sit in your house when you walk by the way when you lie down when you rise up you shall bind them as a sign on your hand they shall be frontlets between your eyes you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates all right this tells me there's a comprehensive plan of discipleship here Right? There's no place that you can go where Christ isn't Lord. He isn't irrelevant to any subject. There is a distinctly Christian way to worship and to rest and to work and to study and to vote. So parents, that means that not only do we teach this, but we model this. We model this. We change diapers as unto the Lord. All right? Easier said than done. Or we cook, we eat, we discipline, we work hard, we spend our money, we spend our time, we enjoy leisure as unto the Lord. Children, do your chores, not for an allowance, but as unto the Lord. You go to school and you study math and you study science and you study history as unto the Lord because you live in His world. You're figuring out how his world functions to the best of your ability. That's why you learn math. It's the hymn goes that we sing sometimes. This is my father's world. Oh, let me never forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world. Why should my heart be sad? The Lord is king. Let the heavens ring. God reigns. Let the earth be glad. This is my father's world. He shines in all that's fair. In the rustling grass, I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. This is God's world. No compartmentalization. And we fulfill the great commission in our homes by heralding that very thing. Not just with our words, but with the habits, the rhythms of our lives. The last thing is this. And there's some overlap here. The aroma of your home matters. The aroma of your home matters. In other words, your kids are going to pick up on what's obvious. 
kids are frustrating in that way. (laughs) They see all the inconsistencies in your life and they tell you about them. But they can smell the true fragrance of your home. They can, right? Not, and this isn't a call for your home to be perfect, right? You're sinners. And your children should know that you're sinners and that you remind them that you need Christ, right? But the aroma of your home, it's either the sweet, fresh air of the gospel. It's either that or it's the smell of sulfur that you're frantically spraying perfume on, right? The smell of death, the smell of hell. And our children know who the real master of our house is. So do you profess Christ yet live functionally like atheists? Are you showing your children Jesus all the while you're personally disconnected from him? Our children will ask about what our authentic home is, not what we try to pretend it to be. And that's one of the things that's always been so striking to me about verse 20 in Deuteronomy 6, if you want to look back down. When your son asks you in time, in the, in the time to come, saying, what's the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you? Right? The Holy Spirit of God, through Moses, is saying, your son will ask. Your daughter will ask. And, and as he does, as she does, they're doing the math of your home as they see it function in a particular way, as they see you walk in obedience to God's commands, albeit imperfectly, but humbly, and dependent upon the Spirit of God. And my prayer for my family, my prayer for your families, is that these questions will go like this. What's behind this joy? What's behind this joy? Why do we worship so regularly? Why do we gather with the church so regularly. Why is that? Why, why am I getting up on Sundays and doing that? What's behind the way that dad loves mom? What's this fragrance? What's this smell? It's so lovely. It's so desirable. So Moses instructs the Israelite parents on how to answer, starting in verse 21. He says, Then you shall say to your son, We were slaves. We were slaves in Egypt, the pharaohs. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe against Egypt, Pharaoh and all his household. Then he brought us out from there that he might bring us in to give us the land of which he swore to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good. Significant. For our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is to this day. Then it will be righteousness for us if we're careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Allow me to run this through the new covenant for us. Just spiritually apply this for us this morning. When your kids ask about the aroma of your home, may the answer be, son, Daughter, God is good. God is good. God is the deliverer of his people in Christ Jesus alone. May it be that grace is free 
that grace is unmerited and that grace is lavish in your home. May it be a charge to fear the Lord and none other. It's good to fear God. Makes all those other fears so much lesser in your life. And may you warn your children of all the ensnaring idols that they come across in this world that try to take their hearts, their souls captive. That they'll see that it's clear that all other paths lead to destruction. And so may you be ready with the answer as your kids sense the aroma of your house. And may they already, even if they don't have the vocabulary to, to you know, they, they can't say these things and they're not quite grasping it, right? As, there's plenty of things that we don't understand as adults this side of eternity. But may they know what it feels like in your house. Right? May, may they experience the fruit of a mom and of a dad whose hearts are captivated by the gospel of God. So a few charges to the parents. By a few, I mean ten. <clears throat> and then three to the church family, and I'm just going to read these. And we'll send these out in the Monday message. But first, charge the parents. Choose, choose to love God with everything you've got. Choose to love God with everything you've got. Secondly, yeah, marvel at the beauty of Christ every day. And I think these are in your, take, your bulletin as well. Marvel at the beauty of Christ every day. Three, bring your family to worship every Lord's Day with the church family. So significant. Four, fear God, not man, and how you raise, educate, disciple your children. Five, remember your children have eternal souls. Six, resist the tendency to compartmentalize or privatize the Christian faith. It's a constant temptation in our culture. Seven, walk and speak with sensitivity to the Spirit of God. Eight, repent of your sin quickly and specifically. Number nine, make your home a safe place for your spouse and children to confess sin so that they may treasure Jesus. Don't mock them. Don't ridicule them. Be approachable for them to confess their sins. And number 10, read the Bible and pray and sing with your family regularly. Rhythms of worship in your home. And for our church body, here's a charge for the rest of us. Number one is pray for these families faithfully. We've even put them on the back, the prayer of God for you this morning. Pray specifically that the Spirit of God would transform these homes. Secondly, ask these families how they're doing as parents charged to raise children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Speak to them, ask them. And then three, ask them how you can tangibly help them as they seek to honor Christ. And so with that said, I'm going to invite the families with kids that are um, dedicating their children this morning. You can just come on up over on this side here. We've got one more family that'll be in here in just a moment, but I'll begin from the top with the Furman family, which is Jonathan and Lindsay and their little girl, Evelyn, here. Evelyn May Furman. 
So the meaning of Evelyn's name, full of life, and then may in Hebrew actually means uh, the taste of, of bitter. I don't know if you guys knew that or not, the taste of bitter. But Jonathan and Lindsay told me, I asked the parents to give why it is they gave particular names to their children. And Jonathan and Lindsay said, we like the way it sounded. And I love that. I love that. But Evelyn May Furman, here's a blessing over you. You are a joy and full of life. And may you always find sin to be bitter so that Christ will always be sweet. May you enjoy eternal life from a very young age. May you find everlasting joy in the triune God. And may that joy be contagious to everyone that you meet. So that's Evelyn May Furman. So down here, more toward the end, we have the, uh, the Hazels. Josh and Ashley Hazel. With their boy Thomas, who I affectionately call Mr. Tumnus. Um, they, but Thomas uh, means twin, and it came into the English language through the New Testament after the Apostle Thomas. And the reason they chose this name is Thomas is Ashley's dad's middle name, and Douglas is Josh's middle name and his dad's name. So you, you guys got that, right? <clears throat> but they said that they wanted to honor both sides of the family and, uh, and that they pray that Thomas will confess in faith that Jesus Christ is Lord and God like the apostle Thomas. And so, Thomas, this is a, a prayer of, of blessing over you, buddy. Oh boy, <clears throat> Thomas, you have been prayed for for many years, and may you sense that, that all the days of your life, may you carry that with you all the days of your life, and may you long to be near Christ, to touch Christ, to experience Christ, to see Christ. And may you always be clear in your heart and head that Jesus is your Lord and God. And may that guide you and motivate you in all that you do. So that's Thomas Douglas Hazel. Millie James McCarty. Down here on the end, a total of three weeks old today. Um, the name Millie, and I don't know, how, I'm sure you guys know this, I don't know if you do or not, but from Mildred means gentle strength is the meaning. And then funny enough, Dustin, the name Lee in Old English means dweller by the deer meadow or outdoors loving, which I thought was knowing you is spot on. Um, so, and why they chose the name Millie is a combination of two names. Mill comes from Dustin's grandmother, Mildred, and Lee comes from Alyssa's mother's middle name. And James is also a family name uh, from Dustin's side of the, the family. And so here is a, uh, a blessing over Millie. Millie James McCarty, may you experience the gentle strength of the Holy Spirit of God in your life May you long for and dwell always in the green pastures and still waters of your gentle shepherd, Christ. And may you love God's creation because of your abiding love for God, the creator. So that's Millie James 
McCarty. And then we have the McDowell family over here on my, my left. I don't know why I just said McDowell and not McDonald. I'm sorry. But, the, uh, but we have Blaze here first. Blaze, Finian, Fire, McDonnell. And the meaning uh, was after Blaise Pascal. The actual meaning of the name they gave me is either a, a cleric or stutters, but that's not what they picked it for. They wanted to be clear. But the reason that they chose this name is because uh, Blaise Pascal was a brilliant 17th century child prodigy, mathematician, scientist, and philosopher who invented the calculating machine and hydraulic press. So, Blaise, I'm so sorry for... <laughs> He said he was a godly genius and that they hoped that Blaze will be as dedicated to the Lord in all his pursuits as as this Blaze was. Finian was picked for their Irish ancestry and fire because of Holy Spirit symbolism. And so here's here's the blessing for Blaze, Finian, Fire McDonald. Blaze, may everything in your pursuit that you pursue in life be as unto the Lord. May you be curious about God's world. May you walk mindful of your dependence upon the Holy Spirit of God for everything. And may you be strong and courageous by the strength of God's might as you seek to know him and love him. So that is Blaze, Finian, Fire, McDonald. And then they're dedicating a second. Um, Liesel, Tree, Augusta, McDonald. And Liesel means, Liesel means promise of God. <laughs> Augusta means increase and is reminiscent of St. Augustine. And they chose the name because God has always been true to his promises and carrying them through and providing for their children. They said tree was chosen for the symbolism of the righteous man being planted uh, like a tree by water and flourishing even in times of external drought. Augusta was chosen in honor of a dear friend who had passed away. So, Liesel Tree, Augusta, McDonald, may you know that the promises of God are yes and amen. May you know in your very bones that God's promise of salvation was kept in Jesus Christ. And may you spiritually flourish as you drink from Christ, who's the living water. And may you be sturdy by his grace in all of life's storms. And so, that is Liesel Tree, Augusta, McDonald. And then we have the Solgans down here. Ian and Chelsea Solgan dedicating Ethan Michael Solgan. And the name Ethan most often means strong, safe, solid, and firm. And Michael in Greek means that there's none like God. So I love, I love that even with just connecting it with the text this morning. And why they chose this name, they had a a difficulty at the beginning of their pregnancy, and they felt that it was fitting as they had to stand strong and firm in the faith that God was in control of their circumstances. And the strength Ethan had to have to have made it through obstacles before he was even born, just with complication after complication that they had. They said that they clung to Christ being their solid rock through the whole process. And then they gave him the name Michael after Chelsea's dad, who was always there for them when they always there for them when they need him, that he showed her unconditional love and selflessness and dedication to being a parent all throughout Chelsea's life. And so a blessing over Ethan, Michael Solgan. Ethan, may you be strong in the Lord 
May he be your safety, your very refuge in the good times and in the bad times. And may you know that there's none like our God. May you cling to Christ, the solid rock, and may you be compassionate, loving, and selfless for the glory of God and the good of his image bearers. So that's Ethan Michael Solgan. And then my number three here, this is my wife, Braden, and our little boy, Ames. And Ames means friend, and Elroy means God sees. And like our other sons, we gave him the name Ames after a Puritan minister who was influential. And because I'm a nerd, that's what we went with. Um, but he was, he was so influential in the Reformation that he was quoted uh, during that time even more than, than Luther and Calvin combined um, in, in help to shape the, just the theological development of churches in that day and age. And, and he, like John Owen and Matthew Henry, who our other sons are named after, they suffered much for the cause of Christ. And then the name Elroy is after Braden's grandfather, uh, who prefers to go by Roy and not Elroy, but we gave the full name Elroy, and he's just been, in Braden's life and my life as well, just a steady example of a, a, a godly Christian man. And so Ames Elroy Tomlinson. And so, buddy, here, here is the, the blessing for you. Ames Elroy Tomlinson. My son, may you know God, may you love God and fear God, and from that may you be brave all the days of your life, no matter what. May you live your life before the face of God, knowing that he sees you in Christ and he loves you. And may you be mindful of the inescapability of his presence, and may that comfort you in everything. And may you know experientially what it means to be a friend of God. So let me pray for us. And then we will, um, we have a, just as you guys exit down this side of the, um, uh, the stage here, we have uh, just some gifts for your children. And we have kind of the, the blessings um, for them as well, for you guys to be able to have as well. And, and church family, just keep these families in your prayer, lift them up regularly in your prayers that, that the Lord would save these children from a young... My, my hope and prayer, I was praying with them right before the service started, is that these kids would have a testimony of walking with God for as long as they can remember. Um, that, that, that is a sweet, precious, and rare testimony uh, that I desire for these children. And so why don't we go to the Lord in prayer. God, we just thank you for Christ. Lord, we thank you for allowing us to steward such a, just these precious souls, Lord, that you've entrusted us with, God. And we ask that, Lord, we, you, we, are, we are stewards, Lord, but they belong to you. And help us to be mindful of that. Help us to hold them open-handedly before you and help us, God, to faithfully show them Christ. And we ask, God, that you would save them from a young age. And we're so thankful that you, a good, sovereign, wise God, are in control of their very salvation. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.